Hello, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. Today we bring you the first of three recordings from our Tragic Martyrs live event that happened at the Dogstar in Brixton earlier this month. The next two acts come out on the next two Fridays, and they'll be followed by a stand-up tragedy special featuring clips and interviews with the performers. Some of the acts have visual elements, but we think that you're still going to enjoy them. But if you want the full SUT audio and visual experience, come to our Tragic History Night on Friday the 16th of May. Hello, everybody. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave and I'm your host. And what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we stand up and we do tragedy. Uh, It's a variety night, so you're going to see some comedy, you're going to see some spoken word, you're going to see some storytelling, you're going to see all sorts of wonderful things. I don't even want to spoil it by revealing what you're going to see. What we do here at Stand Up Tragedy is we make people cry until they laugh and laugh until until they cry. So the content tonight may be serious, it may, may very well be sad, it may also make you laugh. So be prepared to go through the whole gamut of emotions tonight uh, and be prepared to go to some dark places, but also be prepared to have some lights shined into those dark places. We're a podcast as well as a live show, as I've already mentioned. Uh, So you can find that on our SoundCloud or on iTunes. Um, So if you enjoy tonight, you can tell all your friends to listen next week. And if you don't enjoy tonight, then you don't tell your friends to listen next week. We also are taking videos of the nights. So um, our videoer, Julia, is going to be filming it. And we're going to be putting them out on on our uh, YouTube site. Uh, She also is making a film called Four Wise Monkeys. So make sure you uh, take a a flyer about what she's doing, which is over on the bar. Because we have a bar tonight. But we can't serve any booze on it, but we can serve merchandise. Uh, so have a look around that table. We've got a fanzine that comes out every month, so you can have a think about whether you'd like to buy some of those fanzines. Uh, we've got back uh, catalogues, back issues, as well as the most recent one. Uh, Liz is holding it up, I think, somewhere in the darkness. There you go. Uh, so have a look at that bar um, and have a think about buying some of those and some of our performers may also have merch on on there and I obviously thoroughly recommend their work. We also tonight have Peter Mori, the live scriber over on the wall uh, there. He's going to be drawing the night uh, as as it goes on so make sure in your breaks bar's a good place to go but also over here to have a look at the work that Peter's doing Uh, it's really great, we had him do the last one um, so check that out keep keep an eye on what he's doing as the night goes on, there's also a way for you guys to get involved with the tragedy tonight, because at Stand Up Tragedy we like to share the tragedy so what we've got is we've got a pad of uh, paper with some pens over there Um, so for you to write uh, the last letter of a tragic martyr because that's what tonight is all about. It's about tragic martyrs. That's our theme tonight. And so the, uh, that's, the, that's the carrot. No, that's the stick. Uh, the carrot is a box of chocolates. So if you write a last uh, letter of a tragic martyr, you get to take a chocolate. Uh, but if you don't, then you don't. So uh, get some chocolates, write down some tragedy. 
Uh, don't write down anything that you don't want us to share with the internet, because we will probably share it with the internet and in our fanzine as well. So write something, please. You'll get a chocolate, but don't write anything that's going to get you in trouble. That's, that's my, my basic rule for, for writing things down. Uh, so, like I said, tonight is about martyrs, which means that tonight is basically a night of people talking about the stuff that you're not supposed to talk about at dinner parties. Uh, politics and religion. Uh, there's also some science there as well, which I think people are... You're, you are, you are, there's no kind of... People don't say you shouldn't talk about science at, at dinner parties, but I think it can be quite a controversial topic as well. I think I'm sure we'll find that out tonight. So on my hat today, I should say, on my hat is the saddest flower maybe that's ever existed because it symbolises a job that I lost that shouldn't have been lost. Um, I used to work with kids uh, under five, but the uh, cuts have meant that that's not happening anymore. Um, one of the many tragedies going on in the real world out there uh, I'm not going to be a martyr about that, uh, but I did think I would point out the hat. So what happened is, uh, for the flower on the hat, uh, that was basically the, at the leaving do, all the women in the team got flowers, but I didn't get any flowers because nobody ever buys me any flowers, you know, because I'm a man, uh, which I think is wrong. So I said really loudly, no one ever buys me any flowers, and they gave me the flowers, which made me feel guilty. So I don't know, but I am a, I am a white middle-class man, so I should feel guilty, I guess. But anyway, that is the saddest flower ever, ever uh, given to me. Uh, and the box of chocolates actually was also given to me by uh, some mums. Uh, so you get to eat some, 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 uh, some chocolates that symbolise the cutting of essential services for uh, mothers and children. So that's quite tragic over there. Um, as I said, tough theme, putting the playlist together tonight. Uh, turns out martyr songs, really emo. So uh, that's, what, that's what you're getting tonight uh, for the playlist. So it turns out people who write, write songs about martyrs have issues with religion uh, and want to make loud sounds with their guitars to, to, to discuss those issues. Um, so yes, and it's really been hard to book tonight as well because there's not very many acts that necessarily uh, feel like comfortable with the idea of being representing martyrdom. Uh, but, the, but the acts we have got are really exciting, a really exciting mix, actually. Sometimes when you set yourself up, I guess, with a big uh, task, a big challenge, you can get some great results. So hopefully we're going to have some great results tonight. So you may have guessed I haven't really prepared for tonight. Normally I really do prepare. I'm, I'm a very prepare kind of person, but since I've had some life tragedy of losing my job and stuff, I decided to go away on holiday, and I only came back today. So uh, this morning I was in a different country. Uh, so what do you do when you haven't prepared? You go to Wikipedia. So uh, that's what I've done. Uh, so a, a martyr, uh, apparently according to Wikipedia, comes from the, uh, the Greek word witness uh, and is somebody who suffers persecution and death for advocating, renouncing, refusing to renounce and or refusing to advocate a belief or cause, usually a religious one. Uh, it's, uh, in its original meaning, the word martyr, meaning witness was used in the secular sphere as well as in the New Testament and the Bible. Uh, during the early Christian centuries, the term acquired the extended meaning of a believer who is called to witness for their religious belief, and on account of this witness endures suffering and or death. So death isn't necessary to become a martyr, but... I'm sure there's going to be a lot of death tonight because uh, it's a tragic night. Uh, the, the term uh, in this later sense entered the English language as a loan word, 
The death of a martyr or the value attributed to it is called martyrdom. Uh, so the process of bearing witness that this martyr stuff was all about, it was not intended originally, as I just said, to result in the death of the witness. But I reckon it makes sense that it often does because it seems to me quite a tragic flaw within the act of witnessing because when you witness something, uh, you have seen something happen, something true that you can speak to. Um, and we're both attracted and uh, horrified by the truth, I think. And so no wonder people get killed for it or kill themselves for it. Um, and a witness has witnessed some truth and they can speak to it and they can refuse to renounce that truth. And tonight, we are all witnesses of some uh, tragedy, some, uh, and we are all in the position, I guess, of martyrs seeing some truth tonight. Uh, hopefully no one's going to die as a result. Uh, I, can't, I, can't say, I can't say. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but I don't think, I don't think they will. Um, an absolute belief, that's what a, a martyr has, right? And uh, it seems to me that that kills people whether it's right or it's wrong, that belief. Uh, so uh, what I'd like to ask you tonight, are there any ideas that you would be prepared to die for? Wow, stony silence. Let's see. Has anybody got anything they'd be prepared to die for? Life. That's a, good, that's a nice contradiction there. Uh, pretty difficult to die. Well, I guess for somebody else's life, are you thinking? For your own life. You die for your own life. Okay? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that I'm in a room full of cowards because I don't want to die for anything either. Um, but I guess you don't know until you're in the moment when you have to make a decision. So we're all sort of thinking here we wouldn't die for anything, but the more our rights are taken away, I don't know where we'll all stand on that. Um, and I don't know if I could be that brave or that stupid, um, but I love the moments that people sacrifice themselves for an impossible dream that happened in Hollywood movies. So if I like that, maybe I could be as cool as those people. I don't know. Um, this is what happens when you haven't prepared. You read lots of stuff that's written down. Um, and aren't we all tragic? Aren't all, that's right, aren't all tragic heroes to a certain extent martyrs in some way, I think, because they die for an ideal, a belief, an idea, or a part of themselves that they can't change. And at the very least, martyrs are people, aren't they? Like us, because they're people, and we're people. So their deaths are tragedies in the modern sense of the word, because every death of every person is surely a tragedy. As, it's, as in it's sad, and that's what we've come to mean when we say tragedy. Many martyrs turn out to have been right, uh, many don't. But anyway, uh, who is the person making the call about whether they're right or wrong? Uh, not me. I know that I don't know anything. Uh, that's all I can say on that. Uh, I'm generally wrong, so I'm not going to be a martyr tonight. But tonight, as I said, we're all witnesses so hopefully none of us are going to die. And that's a great way of introducing a comedy act, isn't it? Don't you think? That's one of the things I like about doing stand-up tragedy is my intros are always completely and utterly inappropriate for the next performer. So our first performer who isn't me, who isn't going to be talking about sad and uh, thoughtful things. God, I feel weird about just describing myself as being thoughtful. Sorry about that. 
Uh, sorry, you all had to see that. Uh, so anyway, our first performers are the next best thing. They are a uh, sketch team. You can find them at www.nextbestthingcomedy.com. Put your hands together for the next best thing! Mind the mixer. I just love cocktails, me. Oh, I'm going to be sick. Now, don't do that! 
season I'm here. Well, basically, it's all very straightforward. I've just fried the onion and garlic in a bit of oil and butter, and then I've browned the meat. Sorry? That would be telling. <laughs> Who are you talking to? I'd say this was my signature dish. Um, I just leave it stewing in a tin and a half of tomatoes for about three hours. So, three hours? What have you been cooking for three hours? Oh, it's lovely it is. It just falls off the bone. Not that I put the bone in. I doubt it would fit. Really, it's my favourite meat. Uh, definitely I... worth the effort. Did I mention I'm a vegetarian? No, you bloody are not! <laughs> You know, Jenny, Graham asked the same question. What are we having? You know, should we wait for him and maybe the other one? Oh, we've been waiting a long time. Oh, God. <laughs> Besides, Jenny, you know the rule. First come, first served. No. So what do you give me? What? How many points? What do you give me? What do you give me? A ten? Don't mock me. Zero. I don't care, I still win. Well, I've had a lovely time. Uh, I met some great people. Uh, the main course didn't really go to plan, and uh, I really wish I hadn't eaten all the starters out of anxiety. But all in all, it's been a lovely evening. Uh, yes, I'm certain we'll keep in touch. <laughs> Yeah, now that I am thinking about it, I would be 
Good to know. That's why I would kill you so that you wouldn't have to go through the pain of living without me. I do it in a heartbeat. That's it. One heartbeat and then no more heartbeats. Right, yeah. No, I'd, I'd kill you. What? Well, I'd also kill you to spare you the pain. You didn't have to think about that. Oh, no, I just can't remember the reason you gave. No, no. You said you'd kill me. Yeah, you said you'd kill me. Yeah, but I thought about it. I was agreeing with you. Yes, but you had to think about whether you'd kill yourself. Not a moment, not a heartbeat to think about whether you'd kill me. That's because I care. I want to... I want to... Spare me the pain. Yes, spare me oh, the pain. generous. Look, you bought it up. I never thought of killing anyone. I mean, I know we all have our dark days, but I never think about killing anyone else. Well, I never dream about killing anyone. I never dream about killing you. I thought it never crossed my mind. <laughs> The next, next, I keep doing this, I keep, say, keep going to say next big thing, but it's next, next best thing, isn't it? Next best thing, everybody! There you go. A brilliant example of how to host right there. Mess up the name of the act you're trying to get people to clap for. So, but that's the good thing about stand-up tragedy. If I do it badly, it's tragic. Uh, so that's good uh, for me, because I do everything badly, really. So, our next... Oh, uh, I don't actually do everything badly. I don't even agree with my previous statement, so... About 50-50. Uh, anyway, our next performer is going to do something very different. It's some spoken word. Uh, you can find him at Goddy Gumdrop on uh, Twitter. His name is Anil G. So put your hands together for Anil, everybody. Oh, that's bright. Thanks, Dave. Um, I'm going to do a mixed bag of uh, poems for you this evening around, loosely around the theme of uh, martyrs and martyrdom. Um, anyone who was here last month uh, will have seen um, the fantastic Lee Nelson uh, do a couple of pieces, and he ended up on a piece talking about his father. Um, and he mentioned that he wrote that piece in, uh, as a commission for, um, for an event run by a friend of ours uh, called Utter Prime Numbers, uh, and where everyone was given a prime number and they had to write a piece about it. He got 97 and wrote about his father... I got the number 41 and naturally decided to combine the worlds of classical mythology and chemistry. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm not going to go into the science bit of why this, uh, uh, about this piece, um, but if anyone is interested or does manage to work out why this is related to chemistry, you can come and find me afterwards. Uh, um, now, classical mythology is full of people who suffered in various ways, usually at the hands of the gods, for the beliefs that they held rightly or wrongly. Um, and this piece is about a lady called Niobe. Uh, now, briefly put, Niobe um, didn't come from a very good family. She um, had a lot of trouble with her father and her brother. She ended up doing quite well for herself, married into royalty, and then on a particular God's feast day, decided to proclaim that all her children, all 14 of them, were better than the two of this particular goddess. Uh, 
The children in question were Apollo and Artemis, um, the goddess was Leda, and this is a mother's lament. This is the meaning I've been forced to, falling short of the meaning of life, perhaps. I've plenty of time to spend on deep thoughts since deep in the webs of folly I'm caught. My heart, my words, my hubris eternal, bound into bedrock of loving maternal. I am punished for a crime of true passion. Their whimsy and recourse was all quite irrational, all spiteful and vicious, my kids laid to rest. And just because one lady can't take a jest. I'm sure you'll agree I'm a victim of a system that cares not for family values or justice stability in these dangerous times. I came from a broken home. My dad's in prison, right up to his neck in it, you could say. He chopped up my baby brother, threw him in the stew, Pelops al Ambrosia. He never fully recovered despite the surgery. But I got past this, put it behind me, moved on up, married a prince of Zeus no less, dutiful queen of Thebes. Fourteen children I bore him, seven boys, seven girls, I'll see no more. And all I said were words of truth, the numbers do not lie. Fourteen does beat two by fertility's count, yet this caused offence. She sent her twins to deliver doom disproportion, the golden boy with fists of rage, the feral girl with poison chaff. For what? A slightly drunken jibe? No intended slight. So it might have been her feast day, and yes, she is a titan's daughter. But it's only human to be proud of one's achievements. So here I weep by the mountain steep while they do nothing to earn their keep. Running wild, both easily riled, I don't know why they're more reviled. A slip of the tongue and they slew my young. No more to excel, I watched as they fell. My pride and my joy, now teary envoy. Hades knows there's no justice for a real mother. Thank you. Um, now, Dave said one of, the, um, one of the original meanings of the word martyr was the word witness in the sense of testifying for your beliefs or bearing witness for your faith. Um, so we're going to advance that a bit, and we move from classical Greece to 1980s North London, which is a very natural transition, I'm sure you'll all agree. Um, 1980s North London, in particular Tottenham, and... Mid-1980s, this wasn't a very good time for race relations. And in the news recently, we've had the um, uh, issue about the, the gentleman who was just acquitted for, uh, for the death of P.C. Blakelock. Um, but the leader of Haringey Council at the time was a gentleman by the name of Bernie Grant, uh, who later went on to be the MP for the area. Um, he was a very successful MP for them, though not without controversy. Uh, uh, he passed away in 2000, uh, um, but the year before, um, he was being treated in Central Middlesex Hospital for renal failure, and my mother was one of the nurses who was treating him. So I had the fortune um, to meet him and to talk to him about the times and listen to, to what he had to say. Um, so this is a piece about him. I called The Lion of Tottenham. Even just lying there, a still figure, and he's still a figure, superimposed on the white sheets, a negative of before, and yet remains superimposing, breathing that defiant air. The illness cannot make him any less than before. He dominates the ward, managing to be larger than life, even, that is, even as that is diminishing and still holding court. The eyes are full of stories, glowing with flames that are reflected in the oscilloscope monitor the dimly remembered TV screen of my childhood and the transparental memories of the dark times. Those are now embers, smouldering coals. But there were fires, 
ones that he thought to put out, with words that echo in inflected tones redolent of the warmth of the sugarlands that he left long ago, now soft against the humming of machines. Those weren't his fires, weren't his altar or his pyre, despite being dubbed the high priest of conflict. Green line heartbeats bring recollections of a blue line community in, of margin estates where he was the heart and roared for its people against a state which could no longer ignore or forget and a top-level rhetoric that it could only wanted to condemn. Fires from below and ice from above made a front, flashpoint on the street, paths to the inevitable. I'm 15 years removed from all this, so all I've seen at this point are shadows of ghosts. And yet time has a way of refracting sparks because hearts burn memories of lessons, forgotten, misremembered or mistaught. This man here is a shadow of his former self, no mere imitation, but he reminds me that he's a true reflection of our conjoined strands when I hold a mirror in the proper light. Thank you. Okay, uh, one more piece of you, uh, just to continue the downward spiral. Um, and we come on to a third meaning, uh, or a third use of the word martyr, which is martyr to something. So suffering or for a condition or, or something similar. And something that I'm very familiar with, and I'm sure quite a few people in this room probably are as well, um, is suffering because of mental health issues, and uh, in particular depression. Um, so this is a piece kind of like written to a future me, um, I call Legacies. This is my apology to you. To look upon my works, you would despair. Take both of topless towers of Ilion with a pinch of salt. I have not decreed a stately pleasure dome, nor made a castle of my home. I have no treasure vaults of rubies, nor chariot winged or otherwise. Nope, not even that DeLorean we wanted. I rule no lands except where dice drive policy. Anything you've got, it hasn't come from now, except perhaps an overwrought lexicon, lovingly stuffed to the bindings, full of the joys of a fantasy currency and a strange definition of what counts as contemporary. Truly a bounty for three decades span. Good luck with that. But I'm mostly sorry that I haven't managed to find a suitable home. For the black dog Stray who lolls around, who woke up beside us one teenage day, sought our side in his own special way, a, campion, a companion most loyal if demanding, of frequent exercise, particularly in the lean moments of the year, of frequent feeding on saintly water and nightborne treats, of constant attention in every shadow between the sunbeams. I haven't yet found the strength to send him packing, but I just can't lose him to the feral dark, unleashed and uncountered, intense and incorrigible scamp that he is. I've made him a kennel by my hearth, and there he sits and guards me, offers consolation when it's all too much, my boon companion. So yeah, I know that this, is any, this isn't anything new to you from your vantage ground over there. I just wanted you to know, in case of dull resignation, I really, really am very sorry. I wish I could have done more. Thank you very much. And Bill G, everybody. There we go. Okay, so our next performer is... I'm, change, I'm making a change in the lineup, so bear with me for being confused. Uh, right. Our next performer is going to do some 
tragic magic. He loves me uh, introducing him in a rhyming way. Uh, it's one of his favourite things. His name is Daniel Barker. You can find him at Daniel underscore Barker on Twitter, where seriously follow him. It is a joy every day. It is a joy to hear his kind of uh, tweets, I guess, uh, which are funny and sad and funny and sometimes just true and just honest and just personal. But uh, yeah, so I love him on Twitter and I also love him on stage. So put your hands together for Daniel Barker! Introduction. Uh, I am Daniel. I am your magician for the evening. Magician singular, so try not to worry too much. Um, I, I do have a, a, a daily day for introducing it as a tragic magic, but it is technically a magic act, and it is a nightfall stand-up tragedy. So I have to reluctantly accept how gratingly twee tragic magic <laughs> sound is in my mouth. I sort of resent anything, any phrase that exists purely because it's a really full rhyme, something about, like, culture vulture. Culture vulture exists as a term purely because it rhymes. It doesn't mean anything. A culture vulture should be someone who follows culture around, waiting for it to die. And that's the producer of the BBC Three. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a, a tale tonight, uh, a tragic tale of star-crossed lovers, as so many of the best tales are, and this one is also as well. Um, and I'm going to, to use props, I'm going to use two very uh, brightly coloured props, and basically the whole set is uh, two brightly coloured things interacting with the form of narrative, so it's going to make a fucking brilliant podcast. Um, and it's a, a, a tragic tale which I, I think has sufficient uh, connotations of, of martyrdom to qualify. You might ask, as a love story, why I didn't do it at um, Tragic Love, the, the night that Dave put on a few months ago, and I think the answer is that I didn't email Dave quickly enough. <laughs> so, you've got me tonight instead. Um, why, why are you all so far away? Just out of interest. I feel that you're trying to elevate me to the grandeur of tragedy just by kind of sitting off me. Um, I, the problem with, with um, using props as a magician, apart from the matting as a substitute for charisma, is that people don't <laughs> trust, and people don't trust magicians. We don't trust you! Why don't you dedicate yourself to a form of entertainment with substantive meaning and purpose? They say, somewhat unkindly. Um, and, and they don't trust us and don't trust uh, things that we hold. So I need to, to get certain. Would you mind just giving a, a gentle tug on that, if that's not too suggestive a phrase? Um, thank you, and if you could examine my ring. That's not really. That was, that was not my suggestive voice. Or was it? They both look beyond the show. Thank you. That's very, very much I could possibly have asked for. Um, thank you. Much appreciated. Um, I'm almost tempted to sort of... Am I going to damage your furniture, Dave? Do I need to leave? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to damage my limbs more than the furniture. Okay. Oh, what's that stage? <laughs> um, so... Our tale is set in ancient Persia at the court uh, of King Abbas Mirza, not the worst king ever, but not the best either. A rather corpulent man, prone to acts of petty cruelty and not much light, but he keeps his empire in order largely through the use of spectacle and grandeur. King Abbas uh, builds a massive red sandstone castle, beautiful towering turrets, 
vast banqueting halls, a dungeon at the bottom, elaborate spiral staircases and uh, chairs. There's a lot of stuff in the castle. Um, and he would also entertain his populace by holding uh, fabulous masks with entertainers from across the empire, acrobats, jugglers, nitros, contortionists, singers, all would perform for him on a stage as he sat in darkness watching people cavort in weird ways in front of him, which is a very strange way to spend an evening. <laughs> and one evening uh, he was watching uh, a set of performances and one of these masters were his son, Eskander, uh, a young man uh, just coming up to, to adulthood who was perceived as a much kindlier and, and gentle soul than his father. Um, thin, black hair, delicate features and a slightly concerned expression and regarded as not sharing his father's pension. Petty cruelty, but he did challenge love of, of spectacle. And on this particular night, he found himself enraptured by an escapologist and contortionist by the name of Alia Monfarant. Eskander was particularly enraptured by the way she could escape from any farm block rope, the way she could bend her body into a perfect circle, her golden locks cascading around her as she moved. He was enraptured with her and she seemed quite taken with him. And at the end of the night, uh, they found themselves together, as attractive teenagers sometimes do. And we don't know exactly what happened on that night. <laughs> we don't know who initiated what. We don't know how long they spent together. We don't know if it was one of those awkward moments where one person's kind of trying to get the other person's socks off and you have to go down one end and it kind of breaks the mood a bit and takes a little while to get back in the dog. We don't know <laughs> exactly what happened. Um, but we know that they spent the night together. We know that in the morning, when they discovered um, Alia was, was thrown in prison, she was of low birth, so she was the one who was in trouble. Eskander was merely told to refine his tastes, whereas she was put uh, in the dungeon, the bottom of the castle, leaving Eskander alone with nothing but his memories and some stained sheets. <laughs> Alia, in prison, resolved to escape. She had spent her life making her way free from ropes, locks, and bonds. So she decided to escape, and quite easily did so. And so, instead of going back to her village, she went back to Eskander to try and be with him again. But the guards again found her, locked her back in the dungeon, and this time took much greater care to secure the locks, bolt the door, station the guard outside, and ensure that Alia could not escape. But Alia was unimpressed, <laughs> and escaped back to her village. So I hear. This, this whole thing is one very labelled, elaborate metaphor. You're going to just have to go with it. Um, so uh, Eskander was left uh, on his own and told to forget about Alia. Uh, and he tried to, but he could not remember. He could not forget uh, his lights. He could not forget uh, her strength, her passion, her grace, and her nimble fingers. And Alia, alone in her bed in the village, remembered him too with her nimble fingers. <laughs> and, it's a masturbation joke, deal with that. And so Alia desired, decided to, to, she would go back. She had to be with a scandal once again. She would break into the castle this time. Having broken out, she figured she could do it. She would find the weak point, find the way in, and go through the, into the castle in search of Escarada. And what she did. Um, but no sooner that she found him, they were surrounded by guards, and had to flee, fighting their way through guards, which Ali was rather more useful at 
the Veskander, which they eventually managed to do, escaping together, this time on foot. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, and this time they uh, went away, hid out by Ali's village in the woods, and lying together under the stars, Fabio said to Askander, why have you left your, your life of, of, of luxury and opulence to be with me? And Eskander said, I had to. I had no choice. So he was a teenager. Teenagers say stupid things. <laughs> um, and eventually, of course, with being a stupid, he was found by the palace guards and rounded up and, and, and taken back to the castle. Um, but this time, Alia and Eskander communicated uh, in secret and resolved plans to flee not just to Ali's village, but ask the country to live together in exile, that illicit spark of lust having dulled into an ember of more lasting passion and affection. So once again, Ali resolved to break in to the red sandstone castle, which she did, but the guards had been stationed carefully, watching her every move, threw her straight back out through a window. Ali hit the ground, dusted herself up, and broke straight back into the castle. This time, they were surrounded again, with no immediate escape route out. And the only way that they could go was up the spiral staircase. So they fled upwards from the guards. And the king followed in the seat, all the way to the very top of the building, right out onto the roof. The king started a fire by the exit, so there was nowhere for them to go. The lovers stood on the edge of the furthest corner of the roof of the castle gazing down at the precipice far, far below on the jagged rocks. The king called out, Askander, you must leave her whore, and he spat the word. You must leave her and face your destiny. You must come down. You have no choice. The two lovers looked deep into each other's eyes and kissed for the last time. They made a choice. The microphones are sort of like really want to be on that side of the stage. I think they're like they're like the lovers of the story. They want to be together. Uh, so yeah, I mean that, that's uh, Daniel Barker, everybody. Yeah. I think that's, it's nice to have a love story in a martyr's night. I think it's a, th a thing that, when I was asking everybody earlier on what they would die for, it, that might be a thing that people might be persuaded to die for, I guess, uh, for love. Certainly uh, Kevin Cosner did. Uh, no, didn't. That's the thing. He would have done, but he didn't have to die, did he? Uh, that's the thing about love. Uh, you say all these things and you don't actually uh, follow through on them, I guess. Yes! So there you go. That's love. Um, so we're going to have a break now, um, and that's going to be 15 minutes. During that break, a nice place to go and stand, as, as generally is a good place to go and stand, is by the bar. But like I said, uh, you won't get booze from this one. You have to go downstairs for the booze. But you will get fanzines and uh, have a look over there at them. And the other thing that's over there is uh, the pad of paper. The pad of paper and the chocolates. So if you write... Uh, a tragic, a last letter of a tragic martyr. That can be funny, it can be serious, that's fine. Uh, I like both. Um, yes, you can write them on the pad of paper and get a chocolate in response. This uh, plosive peas is great. 
Great. It's good, it's good because I, I say a lot of P's, I find, because uh, I use a lot of microphones. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, have a look at what the live scriber is doing over there uh, during your break as well and see how he's drawing the night. Uh, hopefully he'll be leaving out my uhs and uh, stuff like that. But, you know, that's the good thing about editing. You get, get rid of all the bad stuff. Uh, you can find him at livescriber.co.uk as well and you can find him on Facebook where he's the live scriber, Peter Mori. Uh, and he also does other stuff, like comic books and stuff, where you, which you can find at petermori.wordpress.com, which I also heartily recommend. Uh, so that is time for the break. So uh, let's have a break. We'll have some music. We'll have 15 minutes. They will be uh, coming back with some, some more acts. Uh, some of them will be funny. Some of them will be serious. And everything in between. Okay. Thanks very much. Dry your eyes, it's time to go Following us on Twitter, where we're it's at Stand Up for Tragedy. Our website is www.standuptragedy.co.uk, and we're back on Friday, the 16th of April, at the Hackney Attic with another live, and we're back with Tragic History live on Friday, the 16th of April, at the Hackney Attic, which is upstairs at the Hackney Hotel. And for now, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by me. It was recorded by Stephen Harvey with music from Sam Wilkinson and George Rothman.